Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey everyone. What are private school vouchers and why are they once again being pushed by state leadership? And what role will charter schools play in all of this? Reporter for the ProPublica Texas Tribune Investigative Initiative, Kia Collier, published a new investigation on Texas charter schools, and she joins me to explain her findings. It's Monday, October 16th, 2023. I'm Rahil Ramzanli, and here's what Houston's talking about. Kia, welcome into CityCast Houston. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing all right. I know there's a lot going on with education right now, and we're going to jump right into it. So Governor Abbott is once again focused on getting a school voucher program approved with Senate Bill 1. After failing to get it passed previously, what's the difference this time? So bills like this are you know, long, detailed, and complicated, but Fundamentally, there's not much difference from the main voucher bill from earlier this year that was passed um, in the Senate and died in the House. Um, So it would still use taxpayer dollars to create um, education savings accounts. Um, It would still give families access to $8,000 a year to pay for private school tuition um, and other educational expenses. Um, And it still would cost, I believe, roughly half a billion dollars over the next two years. So um, the differences in the uh, in the bills overall are 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 very minimal, if any. I haven't read the details, but yeah. You know, it's crazy. It would give families eight thousand dollars for private schools. And yesterday I was at a after school activity with my daughter and I was talking to another parent who has a child in private school and she said it costs $40,000 a year for private school. And I'm like, what? Hold on. The one that she goes to. So like $8,000, I'm sure that helps. But is that really going to be the difference for somebody to say, you know what? I'm going to private school now because of this $8,000. That's that's like a drop in the bucket, it seems like. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's one you know, one of the many arguments that have been made against um, the voucher uh, program. Um, that it will only help, you know, wealthy parents who can already afford private school tuition and and that kind of thing. But um, I don't know, maybe there are cheap, cheap schools out there that this would, you know, go a long way. Yeah, you know, and that's what we're going to find out. And also right now in a time, Kia, where both parties are so divided in politics, it seems like this private school voucher program is the great uniter because both Democrats and rural Republicans uh, don't want this program. Yeah, I don't. So I don't think anyone is viewing this as a uniting issue right now, though, I guess I guess it depends on how you look at it. Um, So for vouchers to pass uh, Governor Greg Abbott, who's pushing for this and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who's pushing for this, you know, they're going to have to get rural Republicans in the House to come around in some way. Um, Democrats have made it clear that they're not going to support vouchers under any circumstance. Um, And that's going to be a really tricky task with 
GOP leadership so at odds with each other right now in the wake of, you know, the Ken Paxton impeachment trial and some other things that have happened in, in recent days. Um, I mean, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, who leads the Senate and House Speaker Dade Phelan, they're at each other's throats right now. And that just does not bode well for bringing the GOP together to create a program that has failed to pass for for years and I think decades even. Okay, so Kia, also tell me about Senate Bill 2. What What is this about? So this is a teacher pay raise um, slash school safety funding bill that uh, was filed in the Senate. I think it was heard already. I'm not sure um, in committee. Uh, and it's uh, the interesting thing about it is that it's not technically on the special session agenda, which is set by by Governor Abbott. Um, as of right now, I don't. Yeah, I don't believe he's added that to the special session agenda, which he he controls entirely. Um, and maybe that will happen. Uh, but for right now, the Senate. I guess the Senate's doing that in hopes that he will come around to it, and maybe they know that he will. I don't know. Uh, it could definitely be used as. Um, I guess a carrot of sorts, or maybe more of a stick, actually, as, you know, voucher proponents try to whip votes. Um, you know, if you don't support vouchers, you don't get teacher pay raises either. So uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of where that goes. Now, education choice has always been a big thing for our state leadership. And one of those choices are charter schools. And you actually just put out a new report that found that Commissioner of Education, Mike Morath, repeatedly waived expansion requirements for charter school networks, even when they didn't meet academic performance standards. Tell me a little bit more about the findings. Yeah, sure. So the Texas Education Agency, which is you know the state agency that oversees public schools, um, they've had rules in place for years that are meant to ensure that only high-performing charter networks are allowed to grow. Um, so opening new campuses, increasing enrollment, that kind of thing. Um, but the education commissioner who heads TEA, Mike Marath, um, is allowed to waive those rules. Uh, and we found uh, through a really extensive analysis of, of state records um, that he had done so like nearly 20 times during his tenure um, in cases where the charter network had too many failing campuses to qualify. Um, so in addition to the you know, almost 20 waivers and cases where the charter network uh, had too many failing campuses to qualify. And we found that, and TEA told us this, that he's actually waived these rules about a hundred times. Uh, but that was in cases where the charter network didn't meet that 90% threshold um, because they had one or more not rated campuses. Um, it's common for charter networks to have not rated campuses. Um, uh, I didn't know this. It's interesting. You know, it's because they often choose to serve kindergarten through second grade at new campuses before adding additional grade levels. Um, and children in those grades do not take standardized tests. Um, and, you know, uh, campus scores are largely based on those standardized test scores. So um, that was something that we, you know, opted not to include in the story because we were really trying to focus on the comparison with HISD yeah. and failing schools and all of that, but that was um, uh, an interesting kind of side finding.
Now we'll get to HISD in a second, but I want to focus on the school vouchers and charter programs, right? And the charter schools, because could your findings indicate that, you know, there could be potential failures with the proposed private school voucher programs, because this will be another program the state has to manage? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, so in the story, we chose to focus on reactions from impartial experts and even pro charter groups um, who we wanted to weigh in on this. And um, that was a question that we asked them. Um, early on, I reached out to, you know, when we found out that these waivers were happening, I called the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools, which you know, represents charter schools, keeps track of each state's charter policies, um, advocates for charter growth, and um, and asked them, what, you know, are these waivers happening in other states? And they were like, well, what are you talking about? We're confused. You know, what, what do you mean they're waiving state requirements? And um, so that really, they said they had never heard of another state doing this, and that really kind of propelled our, you know, our reporting. So the the impartial experts that we spoke to, which were mainly education policy professors, you know, they said that this is a red flag, it is a concern, you know, and, you know, it could potentially not, you know, not bode well for, for a charter program. And pretty much across the board said it was, you know, hypocritical given, you know, how Commissioner Marath has has treated HISD and is a really, you know, stark contrast. Yeah. And let's talk about HISD now. You know, this adds another layer of concern for parents and teachers who are still upset about the state takeover of HISD when there's only one school that was failing, right? And Mike Marath has been allowing charter schools to expand in spite of failures, as you mentioned. What have his critics said? And, you know, what is the reaction to the report? Yeah, I mean, I think every listener could probably guess what what critics have said. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's why we, you know, we really did choose to focus on quoting impartial experts and actually pro-charter groups in this story, because um, I think it's um, it's obvious kind of what uh, what charter critics would say. They they agree that it's hypocritical, it's unfair, um, and, you know, they uh they were outraged by the story. I got a lot of, you know, emails and uh, from traditional public school advocates saying, you know, they were aware somewhat that this was happening, but this was kind of a, an issue that has bubbled up really recently and um, didn't have a lot of, uh, yeah, didn't have a lot of awareness, you know, surrounding it. Mm -hmm. So um, I've heard from parents as well saying, you know, it, this is crazy. What does this mean? And kind of wanting to know more information about it. What's the benefit for Mike Murat to allow these schools to move forward in, you know, despite the failing grades? What is it? What's the motivation? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I wish that he had talked to us and told us that. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, he declined numerous interview requests. Um, you know, I think the in records we were able to garner that charter schools say that, you know, this 90% threshold is not fair. They often argued against um, the not rated issue that I mentioned earlier, they were like, you know, it's not fair. We have all these not rated campuses. There's no way we could meet the 90% threshold. Um, again, that's another reason we decided to focus on 
only waivers where they had too many failing campuses, where it's like, we're not talking about you're not rated campuses. Mm -hmm. You have too many campus failing campuses to qualify. Um, so, I mean, we don't, we don't really know. We don't really know. Um, lots of, you can speculate, but, uh, Mike Marath would not speak with us. And that is the crazy part. Like, why isn't he speaking about it? Right? Like one of the stats <laughs> from your investigation found that 11 schools that opened because of the waivers, three received an unacceptable rating within the first two years. So it's almost like they predicted that, Hey, you're not ready for this expansion. And of course it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, yeah, a big question as we reported this story was, okay, these waivers are happening. How are these schools doing? Um, it was a bit of a challenge to do that because schools were not rated for two years during the pandemic. Um, so we didn't have ratings, uh, didn't have a lot of ratings this year. And then there were also some um, not rated, uh, not rated uh kind of rules for campuses in Houston that were affected by Hurricane Harvey um, and some other, you know, uh, kind of waivers um, mm. or exemptions from the state um, during, you know, extreme kind of circumstances. They often choose to say, you know, we're not going to, we're going to give schools a pass. We're going to, you know, waive them for, um, because of outsized impact of, of, you know, things like the pandemic. You know, we keep hearing that you know, we keep hearing whether it be with the private school vouchers or with charter schools that state leadership is really focused on outcomes for children, right? Better outcomes for children in Texas. After all your reporting, after everything that we've talked about, do you think that's still the main focus? Well, I mean, it's not my job to share my personal opinion, but, you know, I can tell you what stakeholders think about this. Um, traditional public school advocates would say, absolutely not. You know, they see it, this as part of a larger effort to privatize education, to turn it into a business, um, and to, you know, curry favor with voters who are really fed up with traditional public schools um, for whatever reason and, and want other options. Um, and they, you know, they think Republicans or pro-voucher pro Republicans are, are trying to undermine the traditional public school system so that they can you know, then argue that parents need alternatives and it becomes this kind of cycle. So, um, and, you know, even voucher proponents have acknowledged that they think that having more competition would lead to better outcomes. You know, that's an argument they made with with charter schools. But I think the, the data on that has been pretty mixed. And, you know, traditional public school advocates say it's really preposterous to think that underfunded public schools will perform better when they are competing with charters and private schools for state funding. Um, you know, the state uh, funds schools based on attendance of per student lump sum. Um, and so schools lose money when attendance drops. All right, finally, before I let you go, look, this can be really confusing for parents. I'm a parent and whether it be charter school networks, whether it be right now, the discussion of private school vouchers or just public education in general, it is also confusing. You're on top of this. What advice do you have for parents, you know, in Houston and around Texas to like stay on top of this? What should they do? I mean, staying informed is the most important thing. Um, I would personally read the Texas Tribune um, as often, you know, as you can. Uh, the Tribune will be covering this really closely. And um, and if a voucher program is passed, um, they will absolutely have stories on how it works, 
you know, what the, what the outcomes will be, what, you know, like what parents can do, that kind of thing. Um, but overall, I mean, the impact on parents and the state and all of that is, I mean, it's a, it's a million dollar question, uh, I think with a lot of different answers. Um, in the short term, you know, if vouchers pass, it will mean that parents do have another option. Um, and that could be good in individual cases. Um, but the question is, you know, what are the long-term implications for student outcomes as a whole? That's something we'll be keeping an eye on. And I know you will be as well. Kia, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was Kia Collier. I've linked her work in our show notes. Hey, it's the start of the week, so this is the perfect time to head to our website, houston.citycast.fm, to subscribe to our newsletter, Hey Houston, or find old episodes of CityCast Houston. You'll find all the information right there, or you can just check out our show notes. That will do it for today. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new. 